This is episode 12 with Travis Green. Welcome to At The Course Podcast. My name is JJ, your host at The Course, where each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you stay at the cause and not the effect. Let's get it. Travis, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. It's been so long since we've seen each other in person, but uh, it's great to be here uh, having an official conversation with you on these matters. So great to see you. You too, man. It has been a long time. I think it was probably yeah, about two years ago that we last saw each other in person before the pandemic. And I suppose that with this new normal, everybody's online these days doing these types of calls. Mm-hmm. So yeah, dude, I'm really happy to speak to you as well. You're somebody that I really admire. And you're someone that has so much insight. Well, when it comes to this, this area of development, you have such a breadth of knowledge and understanding. And it's interesting when we speak, I'll have like something I bring up and like, oh, well, this makes me think of this book that I read some time ago has this uh, correlation. It's, it's very, very interesting the way that you're able to pull in those, uh, those cross category types of analysis to helping people with their own personal and professional development. So I'm really excited to speak to you, man. Likewise. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, um, uh, a lot of, uh, I, I like to listen, you know, cause we talk, I talk to a lot of clients all the time and, uh, you know, you mentioned Derek Moneyberg and he is right now, you know, my primary mentor. And I would, I would say that I'm probably his primary apprentice. And, uh, um, if, if there's someone that you want to see, that is the quite literally the result of having worked with someone like that for many, many years, you know, I first met him back in 2017. I'm the example of that. And uh, I was meeting with uh, one of uh, one of his mastermind members yesterday, and I was I was talking to him about, like, man, it's like you know, everyone on the team's got something, you know. It's like someone's the camera guy, you know, someone's the video guy, someone's the uh, um, the social media person. I'm like, who am I? He looks, he's like Travis. You're the go-to guy. So you're, the, you're the go-to guy. When when something needs to get done, you go to Travis, right? You don't go to someone else. It's like, oh, it needs some, you know, when when we need to smash the glass and hit the emergency button, you know, I show up. And I go and handle things and get things done. So I have, I have my hands in, you know, the, the, the coaching process. I'm talking about, you know, roughly about two hours a week with all of Derek's clients. I'm, I have my hand in the administrative process and keeping all the clients organized, making sure everyone's happy, everyone's in the right place, everyone is uh, doing the right things. I'm handling logistics, the operations, the marketing side. we got specialists in each of these things, but to a large extent, I have my hand in all these things. And I think a, a testament to me being able to do that is I've identified myself as being someone that has a high integrative complexity. Uh, I believe that's what the psychologists and the scientists call it, integrative complexity, meaning that I, I really like and I, I, um, I cherish being able to take ideas from different areas and I'm pulling them together to make something completely new. And that's something that really, really excites me because, you know, you could spend your whole life talking on any of these areas in the, in the university I went to. Um, they're pretty prolific and you have many people that know a ton about very, very little. And uh, when you have a whole world that's filled with people that know a ton about very little, you know, you can put them all into a room and then they can collectively put some knowledge together. But I think something new happens when you're able to take those ideas and string them together and then give birth to something of this new idea or this new concept. And so you'd be like, wait a second, like this problem that we're facing right now, you know, whether it be on like the, uh, on the social dynamic side or the relationship side or just the self-management side, like, wait a second, like the problem that we have has been solved by these people over here. Like, why don't we just use this, this little area and apply it to this concept right here. And then, you know, maybe we can find a solution that was, it was literally sitting in front of us the entire time. And 
the there's so many the, the solution sets that exist for something like that is so wide and vast that I probably won't be able to come up with one right now off the top of my head. We're gonna have to talk a little bit to see, you know, if one will emerge, but I'll set that intention at the back of my head and say, okay, well, if the one of those comes up, I'll make sure to go mention it. So, but yeah, that's been that's been the name of the game, you know. Uh I've always been some some of a team player type of individual. You know, I value the team far more than I value myself. And you no, know, oddly, because I probably value ideas and how they string together more than I value just one single idea. A bunch of ideas put in the same time have a lot of power and they have a lot of they have a, a huge explanatory power that uh, a single idea can't explain in of itself. So literally, all of my efforts are driven towards this organization that I'm a part of right now. And uh, it's it's one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my entire life, and I intend to utilize it to, um, you know, to cherish it and to you know squeeze all the juice out of it for as much as it's worth, and see what else I can provide personally for whatever it's needed. So, amazing, yeah. yeah it, it it makes so much sense that with doing this type of work where you work with people that are you know they're they're in a process of developing certain skills they're trying to get better as you say self-management and doing those coaching calls regularly we're actually on the front lines doing that work with people that it, it makes sense that you'd be so passionate about this idea of pulling in insight from different areas of study or from different people different groups of people that have developed a lot of skill in one small area like you say but in using that utilizing it bringing it together into a more cohesive package for uh, for, for a problem you might be trying to solve that is different in category, but, uh, uh, but can still be utilized by looking at that information. Uh, it's, it's really inspiring to hear you talk about that because you can tell that, that you really believe in it. And it comes across in the way that you convey your character. You're, when you communicate that, and when we spend time together in person, it's clear that you, that you do value that team, team effort, the, um, the pulling together of different ideas from different people. And into, so rather than being just one inside, it's from, from a lot of different people, which is really, really inspiring. So when you're working with people to help them with self-management, so getting to the point where they're able to build upon their business or they build upon certain processes that they're trying to improve on, it might be socially, uh, maybe it's in a, uh, in a context where they're trying to develop their own personal life in the uh, people that they meet. So what are the sort of common issues that people face and how do you help them to start resolving those? Perfect. Well, I mean, I think this is a great segue from what I was just describing, like, okay, how do we take something from one area and apply it to a different area? And when I think about little things like self-development, being able to uh, manage oneself effectively, one's internal state, and be able to set up their life so it looks like exactly how they dream of it, how they imagine it, um, you know, what I think about is someone who's, you know, a group of people that solve this problem very, very effectively are weightlifters and fitness professionals. It's like these people, and for that matter, um, athletes, these people understand that what they have is this machinery right here, this machinery that's no different than this machinery right here. And we've taken this machinery and they've said, okay, how do I perfect it to do exactly what I want it to do or to look exactly the way I want it to look? And uh, no one would deny that this is something that doesn't take overnight. But this is something that takes concentrated effort a little bit every single day. So when I think about these types of developments and these types of management things, you know, people talk a lot about building habits, but I think about building things like willpower, um, proclivity to um, get started on something or organization, like you're building a muscle. It's like you're sitting down and you're saying, okay, well, 
what's the heaviest weight that I could pick up right now? It's like, okay, I'm in America. So we, we go by uh, the, what, I don't know which one's the metric system and which one's the imperial system or whatever, but I have 50 pounds. Okay. 50 pounds. Maybe it's, uh, um, you know, two weights and I lift it up and I struggle with it and I could get one up. I'm like, okay, that's good. I lift it up again. I could get two. Like, okay, that's good. If I get three, I can't quite get three. Uh, that's it. All right. So I have to put it down. I have to rest for a little bit. Say, okay, let's try it again. Lift up one. I could feel the fatigue really coming. I could do one, hip up two. Okay, probably can't do it as much. Um, okay, get rest again. All right, for this one, we're really going to push it this time, really going to hit it down. And then you really go for the one and you get it, but you can barely hit the two and that's fine. But it's always the case. It's always the case that when someone comes back and does that same exercise next week, they can go one, two, three, four, five, as opposed to just up to three. They could go up to five and maybe up to six. If they could hit six, then you know we could take that 50 pounds, turn it into 55 pounds. And when people lift weights, you know, it's not that people lift the weights and the idea is that the muscle stays the same. It gets stronger, but they have to break it down first before it can come back together in a much stronger area. So we can, we can make the analogy, say, for example, procrastination. Procrastination is one of these ideas that emerged me back when I was in college, thinking like, all right, this seems to be like just a waste. You know, this seems to be like a waste of something. Like, how do we get over something like procrastination? And a lot of it involves, uh, you know, the brain is much more complex than say a muscle. And in fact, the muscle is quite complex, but the brain could be even more complex because you got things that are hooked up in ways that you're not quite aware of. It's your job to, you know, as they, uh, as I, I believe the neuroscientist was Ramoni Cajal said, neurons that fire together, wire together. So it's your job to be very, very specific and very focused with these actions say, okay, well, um, you know, procrastination. Okay. I want to procrastinate this, uh, you know, say it's a, uh, it's a homework assignment. All right. Everyone, everyone could relate to a homework assignment that they procrastinated. It's like, okay. Um, I want to procrastinate this homework. What's the most I could do right now. It's like, what's the heaviest I could lift right now. It's not saying I give up because I can't lift the hundred pound weight. Okay. If I can't lift the hundred pound weight, maybe I can do the 50 pound. If I can't do the 50 pound, maybe I can do the 30 pound. And where people get really stuck is that they think that if they can't do the 30 pounds, you know, maybe just give up, just give up. It's like, no, if you can't do, maybe it'll translate back to kilograms. If they can't do 15 kilograms, they could do 10 kilograms. If they can't do 10 kilograms, they could do five. If they can't do five, they could do two and a half. If they can't do two and a half, they could do a half. If they can't do a half, then they could just lift their arms up. If they can't lift their arms up, then they can have someone assist them lift their arms up. And you could just keep recursing backwards forever. And there's plenty of examples of this happening on the internet. Success stories of people losing weight or putting on muscle. I'm thinking like, you know, this, this brain stuff, it came, you know, we came from, it came from the same spot. It's just built a little bit differently. You know, it's built more of like a computer than it's built like a, a piece, like, like a forklift. All right. Like it's, it's built to compute something and then something spits out on the other side. So I can ask, okay, I don't want to do this homework assignment right now, but how much can I do right now? Can I do five more minutes? Okay. Let's do five more minutes. Okay. I can't do five more minutes. Okay. Can I do 30 seconds. Now this seems ridiculous because it's, it's almost as ridiculous as saying like, okay, if I can't lift 30 pounds, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lift, you know, two kilos. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like anyone could go do that, but you're supposed to go do that. And the key with it is the consistency. It's showing up every single day and having the, 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 the organization to remember to keep doing that and see, okay, I did 30 seconds last time. Can, when I want to procrastinate, can I push up to 45 seconds now? And it's not because of like, oh, you know, now, um, 
you know, something magical has happened where, you know, 45 seconds now is easier. It's like, no, a real process has happened, which is the same process by which your muscles are experiencing and by a little process called adaptation. It needs to adapt to the stressors that's being put on it. And you apply some stressors to something like procrastination. Um, and if you're patient and consistent with it and you want it, then, you know, you could actually push this, you know, quite hard and you could actually go further than most people would ever ever dare to expect in the first place. And that's kind of one thing I'm really excited about thinking like, okay, how far can someone actually push this? And maybe not, it's not just procrastination. Maybe it's emotional regulation, emotional control. Can I be calm and collected in very cantankerous and stressful situations? Okay, probably not, but can I be calm and uh, controlled in maybe half as much of what I think is a very stressful situation? How do I practice that? Can I keep that up? Can I keep that up consistently? And really the magic is in that consistency because our, our, the greatest advent of human nature that humans have done that no other animal has done is that we adapt. We adapt to whatever that's thrown at us. It's a little bit too cold. We make fire. If it's, uh, um, if it's a little bit too dark, we make light. If it's a little bit, uh, if, if it's a little bit too cramped, you know, in terms of living spaces, we stack the spaces on top of each other. If it's a little bit too cold in the winter, we create insulation. Any problem we faced, any any problem that we faced, we just, you know, we, relating back to the pandemic we just had, um, literally something that ravaged the whole world that if this happened maybe back, you know, 400 years ago, people would call this something similar to the Black Plague and say, this is one of the worst things that have ever happened to humanity and basically wiped humanity out. What did we do? We created organization. We created a vaccine. We created uh, measures by which people might communicate with one another. We created points of disagreement. Okay, there needs to be disagreement, otherwise there's no progress. You know, there's just going to be ridiculous people saying ridiculous things, and then all of a sudden everyone's saying crazy things. And if you want to talk about that later on, I can tell you why. You know, the government where everyone says it's fucked up and it's uh, it was made by people hundreds of years ago that have no idea what the circumstances are today. Um, I could talk about that a little bit more because the way it was made is beautiful. And it's amazing. It's extraordinary. It has all these accountability systems in place. So relating back to the, the matter at hand about, you know, being able to push oneself in terms of development, you can build it exactly like a muscle because we can go adapt where people get stuck is that they don't have consensus consistency. So now we have to say, how do we solve the consistency problem? Well, we have things like accountability, accountability measures. Say, hey, did you do the homework on this? Hey, I've been following up with you. Did you do this thing? Or we have other measures where, um, you know, what's a, another version of accountability is, you know, you're like the five people you surround yourself with the most. And I don't know if today that's been more true than any other time in history, but there's never been more urgency to certainly surround yourself with the five people that you really, really want to be like, because it just bleeds off on you. And when you get happy, you take on the behaviors of what they're like when they're happy. If you get sad or depressed or stressed, you take on the behaviors that they take on of, you know, say, if you want to be a multimillionaire, you take on the sad, depressed, stressed version of a multimillionaire, not of, you know, any other person that you're trying to be. And even if you're not trying to be that person, you, you know, that person is going to end up, you Myself, we are going to end up with the five people that we put around us the most. And that's another version of accountability. Something very interesting that I did recently was, uh, you know, for our last program, I wanted to kind of test out some of the principles that, you know, that Derek was teaching. And uh, I wanted to say, okay, you know, I want to set a goal to lose 25 pounds. And that might be, I don't know what that is in kilos, maybe 13 or 14 kilos, 25 pounds, 2 kg. That's going to be, uh, yes, 
uh, 11 and a half kilograms in three months. So I wanted to lose 11 and a half kilograms in three months time. In order to incentivize myself to do that, I said that, okay, at the end of this program, which is three months long, okay, on this date, you're gonna see one of two things. Either you're gonna see me on a scale and I'm gonna be this weight or less, or you are going to see a bank transfer of $10,000 from my bank account to someone else's, one, one another member of my team, which I reached out to him like, hey man, I need some help with this. Like, if I, can I give you $10,000 in three months if I don't do this? I know who's gonna say no to that. He's gonna be like, no, no, I don't want your money. <laughs> so I, that's, that's what I did. And that was my own version of accountability. Is to say like, okay, I have that fear inside of me to be like, all right, I need to do this or else, you know, I'm out of a significant chunk of money. What else can I do at that money? I could do a lot of things and I could I create a lot of help. I could educate myself. I could help members of my family. I could help members of my community. Um, but no, it's going to go to this guy because I failed to do the thing that I said I was going to do. And I didn't lose 25 pounds just in those three months. I lost 25 pounds in two months instead. So I did in about two months time, which is roughly about whatever that is, two and a half kilos per week, just a ridiculous amount of weight very, very quickly. But that's the power of accountability. And that helped me be consistent. And that consistency is required so that we could chip away at these things so that, you know, when we lift the weights, it's a little bit easier each time. When I focus on doing the thing I want to do, I can do it a little bit easier every single time. Man, amazing. Uh, yeah, this is such great insight. And the way that you it's very clear it's very you can sort of take this in and understand it which is it's really great to hear this from you and i think that's a great analogy the the analogy of the gym and then correlating that with personal development or procrastination so getting better at not procrastinating and then having those accountability systems in place you know uh, i think i feel like a lot of in a lot of ways people often get a pt not because they don't know what to do in the gym just because they know that now they have to show up because <laughs> that, that accountability yeah. from somebody else, right? You know, that person's expecting you. So you kind of have to get there at a certain time and that sort of thing. Uh, I have a similar, similar story. I mean, also, by the way, amazing work on the commitment that you had to that program. Was that the 75 hard that you did? Uh, I, that was that was something I was using to supplement the whole process. That's a little bit more of a detailed conversation, like how I was getting there. I had this whole model that I developed that was like saying, uh, you know, okay, well, if you want to set a goal, you have to have all these little things. You have these little processes that you add up. And if one of the processes fails, then you have all these other processes working for you. And 75 hard was just one spoke of the wheel. Let's put it that way. It was one little spoke that was there to help and kind of push me along. But I was doing a, a, a great number of things, but it wasn't exactly 75 hard, but it was part of the process. Got it. Okay. Just a way of measuring it in one aspect, but then you had other things going on at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. So I remember seeing those stories when you were sort of posting yet yeah, uh, every day they went past. It was like, whoa, man, this, this, this guy's not stopping. Right. Uh, it was just really cool. And in a, in a lot of ways that that's the internal dialogue, right? Like we used to, another benefit to that consistency is your mind starts to understand that, Hey, if you've put your mind, if you've said you're going to do something, then you're really going to do it. And, you know, you, you get out, you get out of your own way because, you know, you can't, you can't be stopped, which is really, really powerful. So uh, yeah, congratulations. That's a, that was a really tremendous um, thing that you accomplished. And, you know, I think this accountability is really, is really important. Uh, we, we spoke the other day about the accountability that actors have when they go ahead to do a, 
if they're going to be acting for a big movie and everybody's going to see it, there's a monetary, there's a reputational risk. So for me, when I had this business that I was starting, I quit my job. I went ahead and quit it. So I had four weeks to find a client. I ended up doing it in six. So I was unemployed for two weeks. Very scary. But in that necessity, I had to take the action to make it happen because otherwise I'd be broke. I'd be on the street. So yeah, definitely agree and um, and resonate a lot with that importance of accountability. I almost feel as if unless you make something that you want to do necessary, it's very hard to just drum up the willpower, which is a finite resource to go out and make yourself do it. You almost have to make it necessary in order to have that ability to do it in those moments when you don't feel like doing it to sort of pre-make the decision. Uh, John Summers, we spoke to uh, last week, had this view on it, where if you pre-make the decision so that you don't have to make the decision in the Mm -hmm. moment, you've already made that call, it reduces cognitive load and there's a necessity because you've included some form of accountability, like you say. So I really resonate with that a lot. Like you said, there was uh, like you said, the, the, uh, you, you told me it was like that necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. And the reason I remember that is because anytime someone says something to me new, and I'm like, I like that. I like that. I, w- I want to install that into my behavior, into my, into stories that I tell myself, you were mentioning that. And that's a very important uh um, part of this whole process is the story that you get to go tell yourself. It could be, you could change it anytime that you want. Anyone can. Um, that's the one thing that we do have control of. Emotions are a different story. Emotions going to come and go. They're going to go left and right. You know, some days maybe I have too much coffee and all of a sudden, you know, I feel like the whole world's after me. And maybe if I, uh, you know, drink too much beer, then I feel like I could do anything. I could go jump <laughs> off of a bridge and into the water and maybe I'll be fine and probably don't do that. But the stories that we tell ourselves is, is so important. And when I heard like you, you say that, it's like the necessity of mother invention. I add this to like almost like a checklist that replenishes for me every single day. And I have to check that. You know, it's part of my my quick checklist. I want to see my mantras. And that's part of one of my mantras. And I can't keep that forever. Otherwise, it'll be a checklist that's like a thousand items long every single day. Every time I hear something, it's nice. So for the next 30 days or so, I, I guess at this point, since the last time we spoke, like 22 days, I'll be reminding myself like, ah, yes, you know, necessity is the mother of invention can't do something unless like it needs to happen and when it needs to happen it gets done so a little bit of side thought there but i'll I'll let you continue no yeah i love that i think it's a really good idea i'm just thinking about ways that i can also incorporate that um it's a bit similar i suppose to setting a reminder but you have an actual checklist so you can check it off Mm -hmm. and you can probably specify what type of checklist item that is and then you're able to sort of see it in context I think that's a really, really good point because, yeah, as you say, like having that power to tell tell your own story, have that inner dialogue, it, it's a it's a great asset that we have that definitely gets overlooked. I definitely overlooked that, uh, and I believe that would be a, an important thing to consider. I really like this. Hey, so when it comes to things like, so, uh, yeah, as you say, right, you have too much coffee. Hey, the world's after me, too much beer, I can do anything I want. Emotions are going to change. They're going to shift. They're going to go up and down. And um, I've been reading a book recently, rereading the book, The Way of the Superior Man. And it talks a lot about the man-to-woman interactions that men have and how if you're a masculine guy, if you identify with that type of masculinity in terms of your own energy, then if you're attracted to a feminine woman, then often there'll be times when she gets into an emotional weather pattern that you don't understand. And it makes the point that, you need to be aware that there might be an unseen 
energetic realm that you're less sensitive to, the women are more sensitive to. When it comes to the more nuanced development of one's interactions with women, how do you go about helping somebody that might be struggling in that area of their lives? Let's say that they want to meet somebody that they like, and yet they're unable to, or they feel like they can't go ahead and make that move in the first place. How do you help somebody in that scenario? Yeah, it's an art, man. It's an art. I wish there was one way to go handle it, but, uh, you know, people have all sorts of wild experiences growing up and all sorts of wild experiences, you know, throughout their life. And, you know, you know, kind of a side note on that is, you know, if we want to talk about the area of trauma in particular, is that when someone gets traumatized by something, uh, typically what happens is that they overcorrect in the other direction. So say, for example, um, you know, relating back to here, you know, a guy doesn't want to talk to women at all. I'm like, hey, go talk to her. She's pretty. Um, and she and she's almost looking around for seeing like, OK, who is the next guy that's going to talk to me? It's not always going to be that case. Most of the time she's with her friends. But I'm like, OK, you know, go interrupt your life and see what's going on there. Um, but he doesn't want to. Um, now it's me, like the artist, that have to figure out like, OK, how do we, you know, play around with what's happened? that he's not doing this right now. Why isn't that happening? Or she, for that matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be a man or a woman. But why did this happen in the first place? And like, now I get to talk to him. Like, okay, so, uh, you know, what was it like for you growing up? Okay, um, uh, you know, this is how your father was. This is how your mother was. And everything starts from there because those are the first experiences that someone has. And if anyone knows anything about neuroscience, there's a little area of one's life called the critical period. The critical period is between ages zero and about six and a half, I think about seven. That's where um, your brain is most prime and ready to learn a language. Okay, so when we talk about fluency in a particular language, uh, your brain learns a language far differently during that period than, say, if we wanted to go pick up, you know, Russian or Ukrainian together or something. Um, <clears throat> it's completely different. And that's, and it, it got me asking, like, okay, there's probably not just, probably not just language that that's happening it's probably a whole number of other things including what they're watching you know they're watching about how you know, daddy's talking to mommy and what happens when daddy says something to mommy what happens when mommy says something to daddy and what happens as a result of that and kind of going back to this uh there's this one little line in this uh musical called into the woods by Stephen Sondheim who just passed away last Friday rest in peace but uh there's this one line in the song that says you know children may not obey but children will listen you know, the children will look to you for which way to turn and look to what to be. You know, careful what you say, listen to me, children will listen. And that got me thinking because they're not always going to listen to what you want to do. If you want to tell them to do something, they may not obey, but they are listening. They're listening to everything. They're watching. They're sucking in this information like a sponge. And that forms their worldview from that very early age. Now, that's just one example. You know, maybe they talk to their first experience, talk with a girl, or maybe their fourth or fifth experience or hundredth experience, they talk to a girl and all of a sudden she says something like, you look weird. Or they say like, why would you ever consider talking to me? Like little things like that. We actually had a client one spot time that he had to come admit and say like, you know, um, you know, he wanted to go talk to a girl and he asked his friend, you know, hey, you know, you think I should go do this? And his friend told him like, why would she ever want to talk to you? And that wow. sucks because he remembered that many decades later because he was a rather older guy. You know, he's, you know typically a comp, you know, clients end up with us. It could be guys that are more accomplished or well accomplished. Everything's going perfect in their life except for that one little area. And uh, then we have to go sort that out. So you had to actually admit that out loud and realize that that you know most of his behavior was coming from that little thing. 
So it's my job to kind of look at that person, you know, <laughs> now let's get back to the moment, you know, the guy is trying to talk to the girl or he's trying to, um, you know, be a little bit more relaxed, you know, because this stuff's not hard. It's just about getting out of your own way, just letting your natural machinery do its thing. You know, you don't need to teach your muscle how, muscle how to go build itself It rebuilds itself in a way that looks perfect. And uh, if you did think about it or you didn't think about it, it doesn't matter. It's going to look that way because you did the work. It's the same way when you go talk to a bunch of women, you know, your brain and your body, your physiology is going to evolve the same way because you did the work, whether you're thinking or conscious of it or not. Um, you know, one's social behaviors and one's social patterns evolves quite naturally if they go talk to a lot of women. But the problem is that they don't because they got these little blockages, these overcorrections because of some of these traumas, uh, you know, somewhere. Or maybe they just never realized that they can go do something. So it's my job to look at the person and be like, okay, why is this happening? Okay, can you first just walk towards her? Okay, he's walking towards her. He's stand, okay, can you stand by her? Okay, that's good enough, all right? And then say, okay, can you just tap her on her shoulder? It's like, hey, uh, I just want to say you look really pretty tonight. And that's it, walk away. Can you do that much? Okay, he can do that much or he can't do that much. And this is, you know, again, all these ideas, I have to take them all together and it has to tell a story. But what's most profound is if we could say, if I could figure out like, hey, man, if I could develop the type of trust that's required here, it requires a lot of trust and a lot of humility to go do this. So like, really, if someone's struggling, like my heart goes out to them because they, they were in a place where they felt like they had to reach out to someone. And like, it's, it's my job to be like, all right, you know, like I have to take this relationship and like really, uh, really nurture it to make sure it's, uh, it's properly, uh, he can go say freely the things that he needs to go say so that I could do my job and go work with those things. And sometimes just awareness of it is enough. It's like, have you realized that, um, you know, this came from, you know, suppose a girl's, you know, call them, you know, weird looking, you know, once upon a time. Okay. And it's like, okay, well, um, do you realize that a lot of your behavior is coming from that one little thing? Can you do this much? Can you, in fact, can you do this? Can you try to be weird looking? Maybe just lean into it, like demonstrate that you're weird looking so they could actually see it. And they need to see it actually happen because there's a whole other area of psychology, which is really funny, which is uh, psychology like fear and how there are some things that people are terrified of simply because they haven't seen it. And because they haven't seen it, it grows far bigger, more monstrous, more scary than it ever could possibly be in real life. A real example of that is like the hit box office. It's like the Blair Witch Project or Bird Box or The Thing. These are three movies by which you actually don't see the scary thing. It's just a constant buildup the whole time. And people, you can see in people's eyes that they're terrified, but you don't actually see the thing. I'm like, that's weird. Like, why is that terrifying? We don't even see what it is. Why is that terrifying? Because if they actually saw it, it would be nowhere near terrifying that, that, that it actually is. So now we have to say, okay, uh, you have to go in and do this. So maybe we just have to be aware of it. Or I literally have to do it for him and go see it so he could see me do it. I say, now you try it. Because how have people learned things throughout history? It's like, if I'm a monkey and you're a monkey and we have a banana here, all right? And uh, I've been peeling bananas for maybe a grand total of 45 minutes. And you come over and you're like, what is that yellow thing? It looks bright. It looks maybe tasty. I'm going to take a bite of it. I put my hand up and say, no don't do that. I take it and maybe I rip it in half or I peel it to the side and I eat the, eat the front of it and I give you one and then you get to go do it because you saw me go do it first. So that's actually tremendously helpful. It's like, okay, let me show you how I do it first. And then you do it after me. Okay. You can't do it yet. Watch me do it again. Okay. Do it. Now you do it after me. 
it can't just be uh, a show. You know, it's no different than watching like a movie or something. They have to go do it too. The same way that we learned how to peel a banana or start a fire or how to do theoretical quantum physics. Uh, they saw someone do it first and the person that knows has to give that information to someone else. So um, it's a wide variety of processes, but that's generally where my mind is going is thinking like, okay, where is this person at? Where do they want to be? What's in the way right now? And how can we start, I got to hold this hand and how do we start walking over into this other area? And if we can walk over there, we'll walk over there. If we need to sprint over there, we'll sprint over there. If we need to knock away at a wall, immediately we'll do that. Or if we need to chisel it away at it slowly, then we'll do that. If I, if someone came to my, uh, to my gym and we're like, okay, let's do some training. I say, Hey, lift up that, that weight. It's like, I can't lift up weight. I had an arm injury from several years ago. I'm like, okay, well, that's a different story. That's not something that's going to heal that quickly. It's still healing to a large extent. So we have to do something more functional. We have to do, okay, just move the arm, just move the arm. And the analogy for that is like, okay, can the guy just go walking around and maybe just clap his hands or just walk around? My favorite one is just walk around with your hands in the air like this. It's like, just put your hands in the air, just hold them there. Okay, now just breathe. All right, that's it, just breathe. And that's great because actually this calms you down. If you actually put your hands in the air, it actually calms down your physiology. If you, if you take a deep, deep breath, it just relaxes you a little bit. So to do that, it, you know, two birds are being killed with the same stone. It's like one, he's seeing that he could create attention and no one cares. And two, he's physiologically calming himself down. So that's like a, mm. that's like a, you don't get, you'll get to have that with every single thing. But a lot of times there are these little tricks like that. That's like, okay, that would actually be quite useful just to do. Okay. Now just walk to the end and back. Okay. Can you walk to the end and look at people in the eyes and back? And then here we go again down the pathway of, okay, just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. And can we do that consistently? Because if it's not going to be consistent, it's just not going to happen. They're going to keep going back and it's just a vicious loop. And uh, to a large extent, you know, they kind of need to go do it. And if they don't do it, I'm literally taking them by the arms and I'm putting them in front of the person and like, say words, please (laughs) 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 say nothing or something, but you are going here right now and uh, there's nothing you could do about it and uh, that's useful because you know every time i've done that you know i've probably done that maybe you know maybe a couple dozen lies no that's that's a lie i've probably done that a couple of maybe about a hundred times i've done that and uh, on some of these oh, wow. programs and uh every single time with the exception of two times actually two times um every single time um i can remember those two times too they've come to me the next day and say thank you for making me do that I didn't know what to do. And it, of course, you know, because in that mode, they're in a panicked mode. So they need something to show them it's okay. And you don't die when you do these things. Um, so in the next day, when they're not in a panicked mode, they get to look back and be like, fucking A, we did it. You know, it's great. And, uh, you know, no one holds any resentment against me. If they do, you know, whatever, I get it. I get it. You know, they have to go process it in their own time. And, you know, just please don't take it out on me if you get better. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> if you wake up one day and realize that you're good at this, you know, don't take it out on me. Uh, you know, you know, shake my hand and go go live your life or something. But uh, it could be a thankless job sometimes. But uh, I, I find personal satisfaction out of it because it was a huge struggle for me. And to see me come out of it, it's been uh, it's a bit a tremendous gift. But that's generally the process by which it goes by. It's a very, very subtle thing. There's no one size fits all. Sometimes you got one guy that was, you know, he, 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 his parents had a poor relationship or you have one person that, you know, for the last, 
you know, eight girls straight that he talked to, they all yelled at him for no reason or some reason that he was not able to discern. It's never for no reason. There's always some reason there. Um, you know, you never know what you're going to end up with. So you have to go you know, diagnose, sift it out, and then go test a couple of things and then find the things that are working and just like really run it, run with it and find the things that are working really well. And that goes with anything that goes with, uh, with, with, with the dating stuff, with weightlifting, with training your muscle, with training your mind, or with, uh, you know, a great extension is, is building your finances. Okay. How do you do the same thing with uh, the money in your pocket? And there's plenty of avenues by which you can actually go turn that to a lot of money down the line been kind of like my primary study right now um kind of tangential or you know running parallel with uh kind of like this mental defense or this mental preparation i've been trying to cultivate um but it's the same stuff it's the same stuff okay we did this much this month how do we do a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and you look at the effort that's put in not necessarily output the output could do one of these things you know it's like who knows what the output's going to be but with consistent effort the probability of the output looking a certain way becomes more and more certain over time so uh it's 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 kind of like it's it's a cool thing to go watch happen i guess that's my excitement why i get like real joy out of it so it's cool to watch the process envelop or at least to feel like i did something useful in my life somewhere so uh that's a that that's a big thing and yeah, I guess I, I guess that's pretty much uh, the, you know, the whole on that topic, I suppose. I think I answered that question to, to some extent. Absolutely. Um, and I think you're, you're right. It can be dealt with that issue in, in the same way by pairing it back to just what's the smallest action you could take. Like, what is the, mm-hmm. the action, you know, a little bit less effort required compared to this action that I want you to take? Okay, let's go and do that. Can't do that. What's the, the next one after that? Okay, going over, standing there, right, makes sense. Yeah, I love that. And, and it, it really, it, it is the way to do it because you also then start to build a sense of self-certainty in taking the action, even if it's a small one, you've made an intention, you've acted in that way, and now you're building a sense of when I say something, I do it. And then you're building confidence in yourself, which is something that also I think is really powerful. So it's, uh, uh, and then also, yeah, as you say, bring that into the finances. So your personal finances, how much can you, how much effort can you put into making this month as opposed to how much you put in last month? Can you increase the effort? What's the smallest amount you can do? I really love that approach because it's, it's achievable. People can actually apply that. And I think that that's the problem that a lot of people get into is that they have these very lofty goals. And I had this great quote, if you, don't know what the immediate next move is, you're thinking too big. You know, so when it comes to building out a business, if you don't, if you're thinking about the, I mean, it's important to have, I think it's important to have a vision to like know what the, the grand, the grand vision of your life is and the rich tapestry once it's you know complete, what, what would that look like? It's a great thing to inspire you, but to be uh to attach to that, uh, so much so that you are unable to see that next step in front of you uh, on that climb up the mountain is going to be detrimental. So to have that just taking a step-by-step approach is really, really cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. So like, so what are your, well, what are your goals at the moment? My goals in the moment are I'm, I'm aggressively building my net worth right now. I think, uh, uh, you know, taking these practices, uh, there, there comes a moment that was when I was talking with my personal trainer actually a few months ago, this, this weird superpower I've developed is like remembering random conversations at random times in history and uh this actually conversation happened over 
earlier this year, I think about March or April, I was talking with him saying like, all right, you know, like, you know, someone like me can like think about this stuff for only so long before, before, um, you know, I gotta go do something with it. You know, something has to be created out in the world. And uh, in all fairness, I had been, you know, with the, with this coaching process and, but uh, I can only create so many models before I can actually, I actually have to take one of them and like start putting it into action. So my major goals for right now really is just building up my, my, uh, my financial discipline. Like, okay, you know, just, you know, very, very basic stuff. Like what am I spending money on? You know, this coffee, the reason I have this coffee right now is because it was free. You know, it's like, I was able to redeem rewards off of this because, uh, um, you know, I travel a lot and when I go get my coffee somewhere, then I go and buy it from a Starbucks and then they add it to the rewards and like, okay, well, that's, that's great. Now I get to go get free stuff later on because I took this in action. And uh, just really thinking things in, in terms of that, like how do we capture as much of the value as possible with minimizing the wastage? Like, okay, for example, if I wanted to go book a flight on an aircraft, right? Like, okay, you have the, you have your first class seat, which is always going to be something like 800 pounds or something ridiculous like that. And then you have your, you know, you have your, your economy plus, which is half of that. It's like 400 pounds. And then your economy, which is like 150 Okay. So if I want to be comfortable because, you know, maybe I'm working 16 hours a day, like I'm really sticking to that as like a, a true 16 hours a day. Cause I've been building up that discipline. Like, okay. Like going on a flight, like I'm about to do in about like an hour and a half now is, uh, is stressful. And it kind of takes my way away of my ability to focus, you know, and as I'm working towards like, okay, how can I still remain focused even with all these external pressures? Um, you know, there comes a point where it's too expensive for me to get like an economy seat because it's cost me too much time in terms of productivity. Like my, my running rate is one day, maybe not today, but one day is going to be too expensive. And uh, maybe I'll have too much money to be able to know what to do with. And it's like, ah, fuck it. You know, it's like spend a couple extra hundred pounds for, you know, a premium seat. But right now is like, if I go on a, on a, on a, on a flight, uh, whether I take, I've, I've flown in first class, I've flown in economy plus, I've flown in just the normal economy. And in all three of those, I'm uncomfortable. In all three of those, I don't want to be there. So I figured like, okay, if I don't want to be here for all three of these, then I'm going to pick the cheapest one and then take that remainder, remaining discretionary income and go buy a couple shares of like some department stores out in the United States, which are doing extraordinary since uh, the start of pandemic. Uh, range it back to about a year and a half ago and then i'll just keep that money in the future like i'm really looking at the the time value of money like people can look at i i, I did this example for a coaching call yesterday but you know i look at this i look at this 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 money right here and like on the, on one dimension it's just a piece of paper you know it's just like i don't know it's maybe it's arguably a cloth you know because i could get it wet and i can dry it out and it doesn't get flimsy or it's still you know, you know, Abe Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln still has the same expression on it. No matter how many times I wash it or crumple it up or pull it out and roll it out, it's just a piece of paper. That's just a one-dimensional value of money. But I think two dimensions, when there's like a two-way street with it, I give it to you, you give me uh, a bushel of oranges. Okay, great. Or even better, a bushel of apples. Great. So I know I could um, pay for oranges with this or pay for apples. But wait a second. I thought I could only pay for oranges. You're telling me I could pay for oranges or apples? Well, that two-dimensional value of that one-way street now turns into three dimensions, not just one-way streets. It's in multiple dimensions, up, down, sideways, forward, backward. I could spend it on oranges. I could spend it on apples. I could spend it on a motorbike. I could spend it on you know, a new pen or, or a coffee, for that matter. Uh, there's a lot that I could do with this. I think a lot of people see money like that. But I think what like really like 
prolific investors and very people that are very smart with their money do is they look at that money and they see the time value of it as well. They don't see this as $5. They see this as like, I could buy uh, a, a bushel of oranges or a bushel of apples, or I could buy a handful of apple seeds. They see that because they know that the seeds right now are worth nothing, but over you know several you know months or years, however long it takes to grow an apple tree, um, they could grow their own apples and not have to pay any more for it. By which they've turned that five dollars and functionally turned it into thousands of dollars. Like they're not looking at this five dollars like like it's a piece of paper, nor that I could buy this thing or that thing with it. They're looking at it as like this is something that I could actually turn into a lot more just by parking it in an appreciating asset. A lot of people miss that, but like some of the wealthiest investors, they really, really get that. I really think that's the main difference maker uh, between a proper investor and uh, someone just just dabbles or uses the market as a gambling, like a, a large scale uh, gambling facility. So I'm thinking about money in terms of that way and trying to figure out those little micro areas that can make those changes. It might seem so simple, but in fact, it's more detrimental as a young person to really focus in on that because when you have more time for money to go compound, um, it's a lot at the end of one's life. Maybe in my 50s or 60s, it's not as much. You know, I could put it in the right places and uh, make sure it compounds because I, I paid for the education. I know where to go put it. Um, but uh, in my, in my, if, if I'm 18, I'm 28 right now, um, that's, that money could still be a lot in the future. So I want to find every opportunity to just save you know, a penny there or a dime there. And like literally to a point where it's like, if I see a coin on the street, I pick up the coin and that's a habit I picked up from Derek actually. And you know, Derek, he gets very, very excited when he sees that. And, uh, you know, I never like to take these things for granted. You know, when I meet someone who is a millionaire, who is like a wealth coach, like he is, you know, I don't take little attitudes like that for granted. I'm like, no, that is a fundamental part of his character. Why is he doing that? And I started doing it myself and I started, it, it, it's become weird where it's like, I can like identify like a penny sitting on top of an asphalt that's like the same color as the asphalt. I can identify it from like, it, and, and at nighttime, and at nighttime, identify <laughs> it from like several meters yeah. away. I'm like something, you know, there's a disturbance in the forest, you know? And I go and pick it up. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. How did I see that? I realized what's happening. And, you know, Derek, he tells the story where, you know, the proudest penny he ever picked up was one. It wasn't actually sitting in the asphalt that he saw, like much like I did, but he had to dig it out of the asphalt. You know, he really, really worked for that one cent. And, uh, you know, primarily because, you know, he looks at that and doesn't see it as just one penny. He says, I'm going to turn that into $5 in my lifetime. And if you do that, that's just one penny. You multiply that by 100, make $1. That's not $5. It's now $500. You know, it's not just one dollars; it's ten dollars, five hundred dollars, it's five thousand, and so on and so forth. You know, as, as far as you know, highs you want to take your income, your discretionary income, and then put it towards something useful. But it it it, it sets like an important anchor for that. When I sit down and like, you know, I, I was just uh, there's this restaurant right next to us, uh, this Mediterranean place, and I go eat there, and uh, basically say like, okay, thanks, and then uh, the person, you know, I'm, I'm meeting with a with a separate client, I, I suppose, um, he's over there and he says like, oh, you know, you know, you can get a discount because you live in this building. And I said, oh shit, like I want my discount. And the lady said, well, you have to tell me next time because I already put the charge in. And I'm looking at the charge. I'm looking at my credit card. I'm like, you really can't just start it over. And she's like, no, I can't because I was already put in the system. And I'm looking at the, the credit card, looking back at the charge. There's a part of my brain that thinks like, okay, I could just let this go because a path of least resistance would just be give it a credit card and pay the extra, you know, five bucks. It really was like five bucks extra. But I said, no, 
bring me someone else or take me to your manager. Like I wanted, you know, to get that discount. And then she left and the manager came back and then took it off. And then she said, okay, yeah, just remember for next time. I'm like, you know, great. Everyone won in that situation. You know, I got mm-hmm. my money and she got to feel justified for it. So everyone won in that situation. Uh, everyone, you know, everyone's happier for doing it. Um, and if I didn't do it, I would be, you know, this, this $5 would not be in my pocket right now. In someone <laughs> else's pocket, you know, and yes. I think I could spend it a lot better. So this is a major focus of what I'm doing right now. And, uh, to be honest, like when I say that I'm a team player is like, I'm you know, dead set a team player. You know, what we're doing with this brand right now is something I don't think anyone's ever seen before. You know, we, we've met with gosh, maybe three different Olympians so far. They have, uh, you know, some of the most decorated Olympians in the, the winter or summer Olympics. Um, we've met with several uh, MMA and UFC fighters and just talked with people and been around these people, uh, many retired uh, professional athletes, many current professional athletes, just talking with these people and just being in the same room with them is so valuable because it's not that they're saying anything that we haven't heard before. You know, anyone that's listening to this interview has probably heard us say these things, you know, many times in their lifetime. You know, you're not the first person, I'm not the first person to say necessity is the mother of invention. You know, it probably goes back to hundreds of years ago and probably that person that claims he was the first person to say stole it from someone else. So, um, but uh, uh, the way that they say these things, and it's not that it's something new, it's the way that it's communicated. It now makes, it, it hits differently. It makes sense in a different way. I'm like, oh, I get it now. I understand. One of these, for example, one of these athletes, he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, after his first game, he played it in the professionals. You know, he played amateur and in college, but when he played in professionals for the first time, his body was never the same after that because they were just so much more vicious. They were so much more well put together. Everyone's muscle is built like crazy. You're playing at the best, best of the best of the best. And the, the difference between the best and amateur is so it's, I mean, literally it's not that much. Everyone's just like 10% faster, but still that little 10% can feel like a lot. And his body was never the same after that. And, but he said that like, okay, well, you know, to some extent my body's been scarred and people say, oh, because I've been scarred, like I'm not going to go do something again. It's like, no, it's like, well, look at, you know, scar tissue, any scar tissue you might have on your body or your mind, um, you know, that's there so that you could be stronger for the next time it happens. So if the next time you get faced with a similar situation, you can handle it better than you did the first time. So you say you're scarred, you can't do it again. It's like, no, you're scarred, go do it again, because you are now more equipped than someone else that didn't go through that experience. I was like, Absolutely. that is extraordinary that is amazing like just mm. to hear that from one person and then now what happens when you got a couple of us just listening to all these ideas just putting all these people in the same room to listen to it's like we're doing something pretty phenomenal here so i'm all in on this project and it's hard for me to have any additional goals above and beyond say something simple like you know I'll probably get back in the habit of you know losing weight again or putting on more muscle instead so it's a little bit more sustainable than my two months project but uh that's uh that's kind of like my main focus right now and you know, something which is interesting, which I haven't mentioned to anyone yet, is that uh, on my computer, I take notes like a, like a crazy person. There's this, uh, there's this book called uh, The Professor and the Madman, which is the story of the, uh, how the uh, Oxford Dictionary was created. Basically, the, the professor was saying, okay, well, um, 
you know, we can create this dictionary, but we have to, we can't do it ourselves. We have to send out uh, um, a solicitation to the people of England. And we have to see, okay, uh, if you have a word with a definition, send it in and we'll take it and we'll add it to the, to the entry just so long as we could confirm it. And so they were doing that, but it was coming in too slowly. But uh, in comes the madman who is this insane person who is hallucinating, he's serving time in prison because he, he murdered this, this guy for looking like someone that he thought was actually trying to kill him. But he learns about this and his time in prison ends up like creating like half of the total entries by himself with all the books he had available and all the entries that he was setting in. So then, you know, enter this relationship between the professor and the madman, the madman who is creating all these entries. Um, I bring that up because I literally take notes like the madman. I literally, <laughs> if, I'm looking, if, I, if, I, if I look at my computer, I have currently 8,060 notes I've taken over the past maybe eight or nine years now. And uh, that's just wow. like a little idea. I'm like, okay, let's put that down. Or that's a really interesting note. Let's put that down. Or, that's a really interesting concept. Let's put that down. Do I read all these? No, I don't read all these. It's almost like a catalog. I could search for a, a keyword and I could go back to that note and see what it is. But a new folder has emerged. I, I've, I've been calling mental defense. And this idea has, has emerged to me that, you know, as we start entering this, uh, how would you call it, this, this meta space, this metaverse space, um, and even in the area where uh, we're in the information era, uh, never more in history have we been more inclined to having our ideas co-opted or to having our thoughts and our, our thinking processes co-opted by something else. There are whole areas that, you know, they call them troll farms and there are whole organizations that are dedicated towards spreading misinformation. And the, the worst of them are the people that accuse other people of spreading misinformation. And that's kind of the whole point is that you're not going to look at the person that called it, you know, but maybe you will look at that person. So I'm thinking like, okay, like, how does anyone know, like, what's true or what's not true anymore? We're, like, we're even departing from little areas of science when people say, oh, I don't trust the science on this, or the science doesn't apply on this. I'm like, okay, now that we've taken away this, this measuring stick, which we've been using to, like, you know, standardize most of what we believe over the past, you know, several you know, decades, arguably centuries, uh, what do people believe in now? I think never more in history with all this access to new information, this overload of information, have, have people been more, uh, more likely to having their own thought processes co-opted and that people need the same way that they have self-defense classes um, for if they were to go into the street and they need to protect their person from uh, some, you know, some, uh, uh, how, how would I call it, uh, some unforgiving force or some nefarious force. Uh, perhaps someone needs to have something quite similar. They need to have uh, a self-defense for their brain. You know, I can remember, I can remember a, a scene from, what's the movie, back in Inception. You know, there was the Mr. Charles, which was a gambit that uh, the team played. You know, the, the, I guess the, the premise of the movie is that it's this team that can go into people's dream states and it can help plant ideas or extract ideas from that person by uh, going into their dream states. I'm thinking like, that's horrible. Like imagine someone like going into your mind and your subconscious and your brain and just moving all the furniture around and then leaving. And then you wondering where everything's at. I don't like that at all. It's no different than if someone had to go, you know, break into your home and move everything around and you don't know what's there, what's left or what they added for that matter. Um, it's not a great feeling. So to some extent, you know, I, yeah, have you heard of something where people, you know, protect their brains from 
these corrupting forces. Like, I'm not sure if I'm aware of it and maybe there's never been an avenue to go do so. But I think now in this time where we start, we're starting to enter the areas where people's, you know, literally their, their belief systems are being co-opted by just, just large organizations and large groups and people have the necessity or the need to be able to protect themselves properly from those corrupting forces. So that idea has emerged. I'm starting to just kind of put together a catalog of, of little thoughts and ideas and philosophies and seeing you know, where the new thing emerges from that when we combine those together. How can someone go protect themselves from manipulation? How can someone protect themselves from these little areas of dark, of dark psychology um, for when it comes? You know, because not everyone is going to, not everyone taking a self-defense class, but someone is going to want to say, all right, you know, the the thoughts in my mind are valuable and I can't have someone coming in and uh, tell them, you know, teaching me something different. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything I believed is now no longer true. Now I need to go reconstruct it for myself um, in a way that maybe could cost someone millions of dollars. You know, how many executives, you know, it's necessary to have their thoughts and their belief structures protected because if someone comes in and, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, infects their brain with uh, some new idea or some new thought process um, that's, you know, it literally costs not only them, but, you know, thousands, arguably thousands of people and maybe even whole markets, uh, you know, upwards of millions or billions of dollars because they couldn't keep it together. So I haven't heard of anything like that. Maybe it's out there. Maybe it's better that people don't know about it. Otherwise, there would be a warfare that happens. You know, there would be like the antivirus warfare. You have the viruses coming in and the antivirus has to get updated. And then a new virus comes to handle the antivirus. And then the antivirus has to update again to be able to handle this new version. Uh, perhaps it's better that people don't know about it. But that's just a little project, a little pet project I've been thinking about in the back of my head. But uh, other than that, other than that, that's, uh, that's the whole of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. The the metaverse, the this new digital solution they have to, I don't know, to people needing to be online more. <laughs> it seems to be. Um, it almost feels as if they're trying to push that because they know that it's coming in some form. They want to get ahead of the curve and be the first ones to be doing it in, in a sense. But hey, um, this is uh, this is such a depth of of interest. Uh, it's so interesting to, to go over these topics with you. And uh, it's great that you, ha you, you have this you have this incredible castle of, of notes. You said around 8,000 notes or so, which is really interesting. Yeah. I feel like, you know, uh, you definitely um, you should write a book. Like you, you're the kind of person that would be a great author because you're so good at pulling these ideas from different places and then piecing them mm -hmm. together into an organized whole. It would be very interesting to see uh, what that could culminate in in terms of a, uh, a piece of text. But hey, um, I think we should... 100% do a part two if you're down for that at some point. I'm respectful of your time. I know you've got to catch a plane pretty soon. Um, so wh where could people find you online if, if they want to reach out? Well, um, I don't actually have any of my own personal services right now. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I'm, not, uh, I'm not in the market for any sort of independent, uh, independent work. But the best way that someone can go and work with me is to go work with my mentor, the person I've learned, learned from, and that's Derek Moneyberg. So if someone is interested about you know, any of the things that I'm talking about, and maybe more preferably is looking to take some of those things and be able to turn it into millions of dollars the course of their lifetime. You know, the, we, we don't talk about you know, how to get people jobs or how to, uh, you know, to, you know, to save a couple dollars here and there. It's like we talk, you know, in the scale of six and seven figures. So quite understandably, we, we end up having clients that are in the six and seven, seven figure ranges. 
So it's usually that type of person or some young kid you know, or some young person that you could look them in the eyes and be like, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be someone special. We want to cultivate those people to make sure that they can actually turn some of these things and turn it into a lot of money. And that's going to be with Derek Moneyberg. You can find me and you can find him primarily at www.moneyberg.com. Uh, put in an application or watch one of the webinars, see if it's right for you. And uh, for the people that are excited about that, looking forward to meeting you on one of these calls and uh, meeting you in person and uh, until part two, I suppose. Amazing. Travis, thank you so much, man. Pleasure. Good talking to you, JJ.